When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Mitch Album, author of the book, Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is inspired. And we're glad to have you joining us as we do every Tuesday. Lisa Goitsch, my friend and producer of the program, is with us. And right off the bat, we've got a little announcement to make, because last week on the show, uh, we talked about my new book, The Little Liar, which just came out a couple weeks ago, a new novel. And there was a little contest we had for people who wanted to win it for themselves. And there were so many replies to that that I suggested, well, everyone's got such nice things to say. They wrote beautiful letters and beautiful pleas as to why they should be the one to win it. Right. <laughs> and so uh, we said, why don't we see if we can engender that same kind of emotion for somebody else? Meaning, write us and tell us who you would like to give it to, and we'll select five winners who can give the book for the holidays to someone else. Hopefully not right. someone who is named the same exact name as the person who's <laughs> writing it. So we have randomly selected the winners and here they are. Okay. Drum roll. Okay. It's ladies night again here on the uh, Tuesday people Ooh. giveaway. Yes. We have uh, the first winner is Carol. I think it's pronounced Muder, Uter, Kelly. Um, we have Shana Kyle, Jamie Brulette, Pamela Wellstead, and Amy Leader. Congratulations so, to all of you. Those are our winners for their friends. They're, for they will their all be, friends. They will all be gifting the books. And for the other um, winners from last week, we'll be shipping those out this week because of the Radiothon Um uh, we had to have a hold on the shipping. So, right. Yeah. We just so did our uh, big annual Say Detroit Radiothon here in Detroit, where we raise money for needy Detroiters uh, through the charities of Say Detroit that we have created starting in 2006 and now quite a big operation. It's like 10 different operations under that umbrella. And I'm happy to say we were able to raise over $2 million in a single day. Yeah. So, thank you to all of you. I'm sure there are a lot of crossover people, people who, Listen to both that and this, and thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your kindness and your openness to be a part of what we do. Uh, all that money goes right directly to help the people involved. It doesn't go to pay office rent. It doesn't go to pay air conditioning bills for the charity. We don't really have any of that stuff. Anyhow, we kind of operate out of our cars <laughs> for the most part. Out of our but, cars. But uh, that, way, that way, the money goes right to where it's supposed to be going. And we thank you for that very much. And there'll be uh, in March or April, we'll have the day where we distribute the money. And we'll bring you up to date on that as well. Uh, that's the best day. That's really nice to see did, that. Did, did any of the uh, winners here, did they make an impassioned plea as to why the person they were 
giving the book to deserved the book? Yes, uh, I have a lot of those here. If you give me one second, I'll have to pull them up in our group page. But um, yeah, we had a lot of really good ones. There were some people that were like, um, uh, some who got pulled, some who didn't, because we randomly pulled them, right? Mm. Um, uh, but some were, you know, had people who were also like ill that they wanted to give them to. Um, some people had read them with their parents in the past. Um, here's one. I would love, I would love to give this book to my daughter, Lexi. Um, I want to give this to my mom. Uh, I would love to share with my sister. We both love your books and have had several signed. Oh, so there's someone who's gotten them signed in the past. Um, uh, there were, there was somebody here, one of our winners, um, oh, here's, we have a lot of people that say that, that the selling point was, I would love to be considered, please. I'm a big fan and I listen to your podcast every week. I'm one of your avid Tuesday peeps. Huh. <laughs> so that's a selling point. Count me in. Okay. Uh, so I get the essence of it. I, I just wanted to see, maybe there was one particular moving story, uh, but they're all good stories and we're happy that you're sharing it. As we tell our kids in Haiti, patage, patage, patage. Oh, what does that mean? Share, share, share. Oh, I love that so, word, patage. Patage, yeah. Ah. So it's a beautiful word. So we appreciate that. I want to uh, share with you here was something that's I think pertinent to our time. We haven't really talked about in the four years that we have uh, done Tuesday People the podcast, but um, when when Maury talked about faith and religion and belief. A lot of times he was talking about it in the context of his dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. And you might recall, we talked about how he said to Ted Koppel that I, you know, used to be an agnostic, uh, didn't really know if there was a God or not, but now I'm talking to the angels. Uh, you know, I'm talking to God and seeing if I get to be one of the angels was something that he sort of went through uh, maybe an epiphany of some kind in his final months here on earth that he wanted to embrace a faith. He, he wanted to have that concept of God and heaven. It was very important to him. And earlier in our conversations, we talked about Maury's upbringing. And, you know, Maury was raised Jewishly. He was raised, in fact, sort of semi, I, I guess, conservative to slash orthodox in his home. Of course, back at that time when he was growing up in New York City and uh, the, uh, the, uh, you know, parents of, or son of, of, of immigrant parents or immigrant grandparents, uh, the Jewish identity and everybody's identity was a lot stronger, but Maury always felt, although he wasn't particularly religious in his you know, activities in terms of synagogue attendance or things like that, culturally, he very much identified with his heritage. Listen to this. I always felt very Jewish, and I was always in my heart an alternative person. So I didn't give a damn what the culture thought, what any of the majority ideas were. I knew what I felt, and I felt very Jewish. I love Jewish humor, I love Jewish cooking, I love Jewish cultural stories, I love the way Jews handle suffering. I love Jewish ethical views. I love Jewish interpretations of, of what life is all about. 
So there was no way I could reject my Jewishness. And I came to Brandeis, and I loved being there because it was Jewish. All of that without being religious. And it made me who I am. The ethics that I believe in are Jewish ethics. The attitudes I have are Jewish attitudes. And so my core self was so bound up in being Jewish that I never had a slightest thought of abandoning that and trying to deny my Jewishness or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And I suffered into a little bit of anti-Semitism. I tried to join the Boy Scouts in the neighborhood I lived in after we moved to the Bronx. They turned me down. They met in the church and they said, we don't want Jews here. Wow. So you can see, even though Maury didn't necessarily attend synagogue religiously or anything like that, he identified with his Judaism and he paid a price for it wasn't allowed to join the Boy Scouts. Um, We live in a time now where people who are Jewish are becoming very afraid. I can't tell you how many people I have met out on tour for The Little Liar, the book, which is set during the Holocaust and follows a Jewish family. wasn't my intent to make a connection with that. I just wanted to write a good story that talked about the truth. But it turns out it came out at this particular time. And I'm meeting so many Jewish people on the road who are saying to me, they're really scared. Some are saying, I bought a gun for the first time in my life. They have a thing here in L.A. where they're doing, um, there was a, a synagogue here where the rabbi, um, I think I think it was the rabbi that's like a gun person. And yeah. he brought somebody in to teach people gun use. And they were wow. having like shooting range classes. For the well, people just at the as synagogue. We're, just as we're doing this podcast, just in the last 24, 48 hours, there's reports of a menorah, Jewish menorah, which is a symbol for Hanukkah, uh, being draped in a Palestinian flag on the campus of Yale University, which they're declaring an act of anti-Semitism. There's a report of a, a 20-year-old Orthodox Jewish woman who was severely beaten by two people in the street, uh, which what seems to be uh, clearly, this is in London, clearly a case of identifying her because she was Jewish and beating her. Um, Of course, we heard the MIT story a few weeks back where students were literally denied the ability to get into their classroom, Jewish students by protesters. And now we have seen this past week uh, the presidents of MIT, Harvard, and Penn being asked many times over, is the calling for the death of the Jews, calling for genocide against the Jews or slaughter of the Jews, considered harassment on your campus, violating your code of conduct? And none of them can answer yes. They obfuscated, they They danced around it. They said, oh, it depends on the context. But you understand that if someone were to say that same question about many other groups, people wouldn't hesitate. If someone called for the death and destruction of filling any ethnic group or racial group, you think everyone would sit around and say, well, it kind of depends on the context. 
We'll be back with more Tuesday People right after this. So this is a scary thing. Maury was, you know, encountered it when he was younger. And people are encountering it now, wherever they go, by people who are angry at them. So I want to I explain to you why Jewish people may be a little uh, sensitive about something that harkens back to a not so long ago time during the Holocaust in the 40s when they hear certain kinds of behavior. Mm-hmm. Let me read you this from The Little Liar. This is a scene right after the war takes place. All right, right after the war is over. So I'm not going to read you something from the concentration camps or things like that, which is very common when you know you read a book that has anything set in the Holocaust, so let me read you this really dire scene from a from a concentration camp. It'll show you how how badly Jewish people were treated. I don't need to do that. I'm skipping that. This is in 1946. All right, this is when Nikos. If you remember the story of of a little the little liar, Nikos, a little boy who never told a lie in his life, who's tricked by the Nazis into telling a really bad lie. His brother Sebastian, his older brother Sebastian, as a result of that lie somewhat, is put on a boxcar and sent to Auschwitz, where he has to try to survive for years. He manages to survive, even though he loses all of his family and everybody else he knows is wiped out and gone. And when all is said and done, he comes back to his city. Okay, this is a scene I want to share with you. He comes back to his city in 1946 after being enslaved, tortured, starved, beaten, all because of his identity, all because of who he is. And then he finally gets out, spends months in a rehabilitation camp trying to get his strength back. He was shot, but ultimately finds his way back home. And this is the scene that he encounters at his old house. Okay, that's the setting. 1946. Truth is universal. You often hear that expression. Remember, the book is narrated by the voice of truth. Truth is universal. You often hear that expression. Nonsense. Were I truly universal, there would be no disagreement over right and wrong. Who deserves what or what happiness means? But there are certain truths that are experienced universally, and one of them is loss. The hollow in your heart as you stand by a grave. The lump in your throat as you stare at your destroyed home. Loss. Yes, loss is universal. Everyone in their lifetime will know it. Salonika by 1946 was a monument to loss, a city of ghosts. Less than 2,000 Jews remained from the more than 50,000 who were there at the start of the war. These were the lucky ones who had hidden like hunted animals in the nearby mountains and the less fortunate who were dragged home from the camps, dead yet somehow alive, searching for something but uncertain what for, having lost everyone they loved and everyone they knew. 
Sebastian Crispus, now fully grown but bone thin, stood in front of number three Clisaurus Street on a chilly February morning and banged on the door. He wore a coat provided by the Red Cross, pants and shirt from a relief agency, and boots he was given by an empathetic Polish shoe merchant. A middle-aged man with heavy stubble answered the door in an undershirt. Sebastian stood up straight. Hello, sir, he said. My name is Sebastian Crispus, son of Lev and Tana Crispus. This is my house. T, the man replied in Greek. This is my house, Sebastian repeated, switching to that language. What are you talking about, the man said. It's mine. I bought it. From who? A German. That German never owned it. He took it. Well, however he got it, he sold it to me. I paid the money, so it's mine. He tilted his head, studying Sebastian's clothes. How old are you anyway? You look like a teenager. Go back to your family. Sebastian felt his jaw tighten. Go back to your family. Everyone in my family is dead, Sebastian said. The man looked him up and down. You're a Jew? Yes. The man rubbed his chin. They took you away? On those trains? Sebastian nodded. I heard things. Awful things, the man said. Were they true? Please, sir, Sebastian said. I tell you again, this is my house. The man looked sideways as if thinking. Then he turned back. Listen, it's too bad whatever happened to you. Maybe the government can help. This is my house now. He scratched his chest over his undershirt. You really need to go. Sebastian teared up. Where? He rasped. Now that whole idea about you're sent off in a war, you're tortured, you have everything taken from you, you're forced to live like a dog in a concentration camp. You watch all your loved ones die. Maybe, maybe, maybe through hook or crook and, you know, good genes, you're able to survive bone thin, needing medical attention when it's all over. When you finally get up enough strength to go back home, right? your home has been given away. That's so, I, I can't even fathom. Well, when people talk about Israel, and it's right to exist. It's stories like that, that Jewish people say, this is why that country needs to exist. Because look at how many people were displaced and had no home or weren't welcome, weren't welcome anywhere. And even as Maury, you know, said, well, he encountered some anti-Semitism when he was younger. And it, it is everywhere. It is pervasive. It's, it's all the way around. You know, when you create something that, you know, it's fictional and then you realize, wow, it really resonates true here today. Maybe you understand when Maury said, you know, I feel Jewish. Maybe you understand why this character, when he says, well, you know, I'm Jewish. I want to, you know, I, can I have my house back? No. It's my house now. Wow. You know, or with Maury, no, you can't join the Boy Scouts. When you are made to feel like an outsider, and I'm sure many people listening, if they're African-American, Latino, gay, trans, you've all felt that feeling of being, you know, unwelcome. 
But when you start to see it like on college campuses, which is where a lot of this stuff is going on now. Yeah. Which is supposed to be, by the way, more open people, right? Right. I mean, open to all. And I would, that's what is so alarming about all this to me. And I can see if you want to protest for your own um, cause, right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean discriminating against others at the same time. So that's the part that I'm not or being, shouting uh, them down or not protecting yes. their rights or whatever. Yes. And uh, when you have three university presidents who cannot say yes to a simple question about is the call for the slaughter of the Jews, which is what happened in this book that I detailed here. You know, that's what Sebastian was coming back from. Yeah. The slaughter of the Jews. If you can't say Yes, that is hate speech on our campus. Yes, that violates our code. Mm-hmm. You know, you can violate the code by using the wrong pronoun. So don't you think you could vi- violate the code if you call for the death of any any pr- group of people? Call for deaths for, you know, all Mexican people. You call death for all French people, Asian people. It would still be the same, right? It's yeah. terrible. I mean, I don't even, I, I guess, I, I don't. My husband always asked this question, like, where did this all start? I mean, this is for another episode at some other point, but where did this anti-Semitism begin? Um, it's so bizarre to me on so many levels that I don't even understand how it started, where it started, where it came from. Well, um, unfortunately, when it comes to anti-Semitism, the answer to where does it come from goes back 300 years before Jesus the first documented account of anti-Semitism. So it is the oldest form of hatred in the world, and it just keeps ringing its way around again and again and again, generation after generation. So I can understand why Maury was scared or, you know, but felt the connection that he felt, you know, in his heart, he needed to sort of say that and identify the way, even though like he wasn't going to synagogue on some kind of regular basis. Or you can see how Sebastian in The Little Liar, you know, finds out his home is has been usurped and he can't go back in. Imagine that after war, you come back and someone else is in your house and you say, well, well, this is my house. Well, it's my house now. And this is the side you fought for. (laughs) You know, this is, this is what you were standing up for. So I know it's it's something to keep in mind. You know, I think about Maury, I'm sure Maury would be very torn at a time like this because Maury wants to, you know, feel everything for everybody. Um, and certainly he would feel for both sides in this conflict. Oh but yeah. The, you know, but the, uh, you know, the Jewish part of him, and with some of the stuff that happens on campus, I wonder how he would feel about that. He might be very dismayed. I think he would be very hurt over it. Yeah. You know, I think it would make him very sad. Yeah. It makes me sad because college campuses were such a great part of my life. I loved being at college, you know, and I loved, I loved, uh, you know, the friendships we made and hanging around on campus and walking around on campus. And now it's become a scary place for people. That just seems incongruous with what what a college mm-hmm. ought to be about. Yeah, I know. It's really sad. The world is sad right now. But try to keep that in mind if you're wondering, you know, well, why are people so sensitive about this or, or that there should be an Israel at all? Why should one exist? Remember that scene where... People came back, if you were lucky enough, you know, one of 500 to survive a concentration camp, and you come back and you find that your house has been auctioned off to somebody, 
as if you don't exist and you get no relief. Mm. That would be. And that's real life. That's, that's, that's real life. That's real life. It is. So, and so is this, you know, the good and the bad. Uh, and again, I want to emphasize the good that uh, at the same time that a lot of that crazy stuff was happening last week, we were raising $2 million for charity, one $5 and $10 and $25 check at a time. And uh, we were able to do some great things with it and we'll be able to maybe be involved with some joint ventures here. And um, I just want to thank everybody for their participation, for their support. The crossover was great. Get a lot of comments about people listening to the podcast. Now on these book tours, I get a lot of people come up. Hi, love your books, love your books, love your podcast. I say, wow, okay. Ah, see? Yeah. A lot of Tuesday people out there. A lot of Tuesday people out there. <laughs> well, I'm happy to meet them and see them. Beats being a Monday grouch. <laughs> That's true. So you can check out more about our show at wetuesdaypeople.com on the web, wetuesdaypeople.com. On behalf of Lisa Goich, I'm Mitch Album, your host, saying see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people.